and, and going to Australia as well. Um, but more than anything, they are extraordinary people and we are so privileged to have them with us. Um, is, are you both going to get up now or do Phil? Brilliant. Yeah, cool. Wonderful. So let's give these guys a massive round of applause. They're going to they're gonna share a little bit about their story, but one of the things that I find most incredibly is at, at what age did you do your last church plant? Did you 60. start it? At 60, they, they did their church, last church plant. And so these guys really do model um, what it is to um, continue to pursue Jesus and do all that he um, invites them into. So we are absolutely privileged to have you. I'll pray. Father, I thank you for Phil and Bron. I thank you for, um, for everything they have for us today, but everything that you have for them. Not only all that's gone on before, but all that you have for them for tomorrow and their future and all the things that they long for. I pray that you would grant them the desires of their heart. And as they continue to serve you, continue to say yes to you, God, you would give them energy beyond their years. You would give them visions and hopes and dreams for more and more of your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Mm. And uh, I've been saying to in the churches we're going around, I'm now a pastor without responsibility. <laughs> I can say what I like, do what I like. A pastor that doesn't have to do vision meetings, uh, health and safety meeting, all those exciting things. So I can just preach and do the things on our heart. We're loving it. We were at Ramiti Beach Church, um, and we've come back to Grace, and we work a, a day, a week there each, and then we work a day with the movement and get around. Just, just love what we're doing. Feel like a, another wonderful stage of our life. So it's great to be here again. And um, I'm just going to share a, a scripture, and then Braun's going to share a message. Um, I have a, a particular love for the prophetic, um, Holy Spirit, and when you, now I can just do all the things that are my kind of, <laughs> your passions now, so I have a, a love for the, the Spirit and ho the Holy Spirit. I had a scripture, I, I was thinking about the church, and um, I got a scripture in Genesis chapter 26, and I just wanted to read it out. It says that the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they'd filled them with earth. And Amalek said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the names the well Esk, because they quarreled. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he also called it Senna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they called and they did not quarrel. Hallelujah. So they called its name Rehoboth because he said, The Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. I just felt um, I got the scripture. And actually, Bron got, we shared it with the leadership, and Bron had got the scripture quite separately. And I felt like the Lord said to me that 
this was the beginning almost of the vineyard movement in New Zealand with Lloyd and uh, I knew Greg Burson. There was others that were part of Was anyone part of that original group here? No. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really felt that they planted, there was a well of water that they had planted of the spirit in this land and particularly in this place. And I'm privileged to come here today. But I felt like the Lord was saying that we've got to keep that well of the Holy Spirit open. And it's almost like the enemy comes in to cover the wells. He always wants to take away the life of the Spirit. And that's not just corporately, but individually in our own lives. You get disappointments, you get discouragements, you get things come against you. And I've been a Christian for years, and I've had all those things come against me. But I, I've got to battle in the Spirit and contend. So I really feel that God wants to make this a, a real church and a place of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You've got other things here, but I want to encourage you to, mm. to speak to this well, make room for the Holy Spirit. Um, make room for his presence, his word, his prophetic voice. And I feel that there'll be a whole, yeah, wonderful well here that will that will bless and touch lives. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And um, I just wanted to bring a couple of words. Um, Alistair, Alistair, isn't it? Yeah, Alistair. and Stephanie, I'll just, uh, I felt like I was thinking about you and I felt like the Lord said to me, you're like... Uh, is it kind of such a thing? I don't know as a wordsmith. Um, I felt like the Lord said to me, there's something about you mulling and thinking of words. You're a, an incredible thinker. You've got an incredible mind and you've got an incredible ability to recall details. You've got a, an incredible memory. And I think you enjoy thinking, you know? You're not one that will rush out with a whole lot of words. You, you know, you will kind of, what's he thinking about? <laughs> and I feel like the Lord will bring these words, um, you'll mull over something and think over something and analyze it and um, don't analyze too much, but I feel like the Lord will bring these little pearls of wisdom. You'll bring out these words I've been thinking and you'll just relate to someone. I've been thinking a bit about you, but I just want to bring that word to you. I've been thinking about it and I just feel like you'll fit it for the occasion and bless people. God loves your thinking. He's, he's with you in your mind. Uh, and Stephanie, I, I had a, for you I had a song. It says, wild thing, you make my heart sing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I think some people resonate with it. <laughs> I think I might have hit the mark there. Yeah, you're right. There's a... There's a wonderful wildness in you. There's a, a wonderful passion. I just, even with you yesterday, I could just feel your, you get stirred up and you get passionate. And I really feel that you'll be a passionate woman about God, but you'll, you'll stir others. You'll stir the wells. You'll encourage, you'll challenge, you'll, you'll, God wants to just use you in this mm. time to really stir the waters in people's lives. And sometimes it might be a bit uncomfortable when they're stirred, but um, I just really, you know, just you'll make other hearts sing because of your wildness, because of who you are. So, and it was just one of, it was at Paul I was talking to before. Yeah, that's right. I just wanted to encourage you. you. You're really a man after God's heart. You really love the Lord. And, um, and I felt like the Lord says, what you do in secret will be rewarded openly. I feel like you have a secret life with God, that there's a secret prayer life. And I feel like you are declaring things and saying things and desiring things 
in God. And sometimes we go out in prayer and we just say them and we think, well, does that, you know, whatever happens. But I feel that God's going, there's going to be reaping. You're sowing and I feel God is going to reap those things. You're a real man of the Spirit. You're a real man of prayer. You're a real man of authority. And um, I really feel that you will really help people get set free. You'll, there's something of the Word of God that will just, you'll bring life. You've got your person of the Spirit. So I just bless you. Yeah. Anyway, I'll hand back to Brian. And thanks. You want this? Or? No, thanks. Okay. Oh, good morning. It's really wonderful to be here today with you. We've known Angela and Lyndon for many years, and we thoroughly enjoy their company. And, um, you know, great sense of humour and just amazing people. We love them. So uh, last year, um, well, I'll just tell you a little bit about us. Uh, we are semi-retired, we're not retired, we've just changed roles. And um, we have been pastors for many, many years. Um, we've, I've been a hospice nurse uh, for a long, well, was for a long time, Phil's been in the police, we've done other things. But since we met, you know, we got married in a fever and uh, literally um, Phil came around and said to me, I think you're the girl I'm meant to marry. And I said, I concur. Um, <laughs> we actually hadn't been out together. This is not good advice, yeah, everyone. Yeah, no, it's not but it was in the days where, um, and Phil was such a stable person that the minister at the time, he's like, if it wasn't Phil, I'd be worried. Because he said to her, do you think you'll be after manager? <laughs> well, the answer was no. <laughs> Who needs to be managed, I want to know. But uh, so we met, married within three months, went to the mission field. The thing that Phil and I have always kept center of our marriage is the, our love for Jesus. And we've gone through many different times, difficult times, um, painful times. But I could honestly say that even though we haven't understood a lot of things, that our love for Jesus has not waned. And our love for the church. I love the church. You know, people say, oh, no, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. It, you can't put those two together. Um, actually, the church is the, God's plan for the world, and there's no plan B. And loving Jesus means you love your brothers and sisters. You may not like some of the things that happen in church. Look, I don't like some of the things I've done as a pastor. I've had to look back and think, whoa, that was weird. Um, <laughs> and, you know, say sorry to people at times. But please don't, please never leave the church with a big C. If you've been hurt or wounded in a church, go to another church to be healed. I totally don't agree with what has happened in churches and what's happened for many years. It's happened ever since the church started that power and greed and things come into it. But the church is God's plan for the world. And isn't it wonderful that we can come here and we'll be besties with you by the end of this session. <laughs> Where else is there that you could do that? There's just nowhere else. And, um, yes, I just really want to encourage you, you know. And people say churches hurt people. People hurt people. It's got nothing to do with Jesus. Absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And it's Jesus we have to put our faith in. And of course, we all have to behave ourselves too. <laughs> Which is a shame, isn't it? 
So, beginning of last year, we do quite a lot of preaching. I asked God, because I'm not one of these people who does the New Year thing in my house. Um, and so I said, God, what, what is the theme you want me to speak on? And he get, took me to the scripture, without faith it is impossible to please God. And I guess I, initially I thought I, was, I, I wasn't actually thinking clearly about the fact that there are three kinds of faith. There is the faith that it speaks of in Hebrews, which is really about a lifestyle of faith. Um, and it's about the fruit of faith, and it's about enduring faith. And it names many heroes of the faith. You're all heroes of the faith for being here today. You're all heroes of the faith for continuing to believe in Jesus, even though that you have doubts. You are heroes of the faith, even though you may have crashed and burned. You are heroes of the faith if you keep going. Keep going. That's what the message. Also, there's the gift of faith in Corinthians, which is for healing. And I feel God wants to move me on to that. Because that has been a struggle for me. Um, I'm an incredible realist, and I've been a hospice nurse, and um, I find it really hard if I can see before my eyes that someone's dying, and people are like, we can't say the word death, you know, because, or we can't miss that verse, because up there there's a group of people saying, if they don't say that verse a hundred times today, they're off the list. Because I don't believe our Father is a God like that. I want to see more healing. I really do. I want to pray for healing. But I also want to be able to not be afraid of death. And to be willing to say, it takes a lot of faith to die. We had a woman in our church, Nuromati, just before we finished. She's a beautiful woman. Um, she had a strong what I would call um, God is going to heal me. She had pancreatic cancer, which is a nasty cancer. Well, they're all horrible. And um, because of that, she didn't get the treatment she needed. And because of that, she was reluctant to have pain relief. And because of that, she enjoyed a lot of pain and suffering, and her family watched that happen. And eventually I, and I've done this before, and I'll, you know, I've just done it recently in Christchurch, I went to her and said, have you actually thought about the fact that you may be dying? And I'm really concerned that you are in so much pain. When you could be having uh, morphine, you could be having drugs to treat all the symptoms, and these months could be wonderful. But she was reluctant, so she went on in pain for quite a long time. Eventually, the pain was so great, she had to call an ambulance. And she ended up in hospital, and they gave her pretty good pain relief but not quite as good as what the palliative care team can do. She ended up in the hospice, and suddenly she just looked relaxed. All her children around her, adult children, and because um, she felt it wouldn't be a good witness to them to acknowledge she was dying. You know, when I worked in the hospice, the, other, the Christians were sometimes the people who were most um, resistant to accept what was happening. And it's actually a bit of a paradox, really, isn't it? Because we should actually, like, we know where we're going. We know who we're going to. It's very unfamiliar to us. And, of course, it's the unknown. Like, I don't want to go. I'd like another 40 years. But, um, but once I get to 80 and 90, I might not be saying that. <laughs> but um, so, 
but I'm not afraid of death because, because we're going to Jesus. But this is all we know. But the wonderful thing that happened with her was when we went and saw her in the hospice, as we left, and we knew it would be the last time we saw her, she said to me, she said, I'll see you in the new Jerusalem. She had actually accepted she was dying. But in saying that, like I'm spending a lot of time on the Hebrews 11 kind of faith that God is sort of weaving through me, and I want to move to the gift of faith, and I want to see a lot more healing. Um, Vineyard has been well known for healing, um, but we're not seeing a lot, are we? Or is someone else having different experiences, you know? Um, but we need to keep praying. And I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'll be alive to see a time where, you know, cancers are healed, uh, bodies are raised, the dead are brought back to life. But, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead actually dwells in us. So there's a lot of resurrection life we can pour out to others and enjoy ourselves even now in this time on earth. So Hebrews 11, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is still dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had um, taken him away. And before he was taken, he was commended as one who, would, who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. I thought, that is such a huge um, statement, isn't it? And I kept thinking, am I someone who is pleasing God? Isn't that what we all want to do? But I've realized as I've read, and I spent a lot of time reading through and thinking about that, that the kind of faith that's being spoken about here is the enduring faith, the continuing with God, the continuing through difficulty, the continuing with Jesus throughout your life. And even though things will happen that will be very painful, that you keep your view of Jesus very consistent, and you keep you, your view of God and his character. You know, someone who's got a relative who's dying said to me the other day, I think God must hate me. And I just thought, wow. Um, it is easy, isn't it, when things happen, but that is totally alien to who God is. That is alien to his character. And... Um, you know, we've got a severely autistic son who's now 41. And I must say, we had many years where we were struggling. But I'd have to say, I have never thought that God hates me. Um, because we, we kept on. We were actually pastors. We were ministers in the church. And we had so many struggles. But I... I if we hadn't stayed focused on Jesus in an intimate relationship with Jesus, probably we wouldn't have our marriage now. Um, and I know what it is to suffer. 
and to suffer and feel desperate. There were times when he was screaming so much that I felt like just we had these upstairs and uh, please don't put this out so I guess in the paper. Um, I could have just, you just have this thought, just push him down the stairs. And I defy any of you to be in that situation and not have those kind of feelings. I never did. And, um, but that's how desperate you can feel. That's how desperate you can feel in a marriage where you do everything you can. You want this marriage. The other person doesn't want it. And so much has happened to you. That's how desperate, not to the pushing down the stairs material, but um, <laughs> that's how desperate we can feel, isn't it? And yet, Jesus, it's, we've got to come back to Jesus all the time. And people say, how did you get through it? And I say, I don't know. Because it certainly wasn't an experience where we were getting little whisperings all the time, do this, do that. In fact, I wasn't aware of God's presence because we were so busy just putting one foot in front of the other. And yet, looking back, I know that God, Emmanuel, was with us. He was with us. And, you know, people often like, I want to hear from God, but they don't realize that there are many people around who actually have Jesus in them. And, you know, what I found was he sent Jesus with skin on. He sent them in the IHC workers. None of them at, at, that I know of acknowledged that they knew God. But, you see, we are all made in his image, and that's why we see such kindness in people. That's why when tragedy strikes, you see this incredible outpouring, and it's not just from the church. In fact, at times, it's so much more from the community because made in God's image. Psychologists, psychiatrists, all the people we dealt with, just incredible. At times, the church struggled to say anything to us because it messed with their theology. You know, like we have, do need to embrace the fact that there is suffering in this life. We don't want to invite it. It'll come without invitation. <laughs> with even no RSPV, anything. And we never know when it's coming, so we don't need to worry about it. But Jesus said, in this world you will have many sorrows, but I have overcome this world. And that's what he meant, because this is not all there is, gang. There's eternity. And just very briefly, I'll just finish this about Greg. We've, at 14, he had to go into care because he was so violent with us and our other sons. He was biting us and scratching us. He was big by this time. And um, pulling our hair, and it was, it was incredible. I mean, I'm so thankful for my wonderful husband. We worked together on it. But these kind of things, you know, people can support you, but there's some pain that no one else can carry for you. You know, you can, you're on this race, and they can be up there calling out, you're going to make it. Here's some water. There's a food station. And boy, do we need that. And that's, that's what we are, church. That's what we are to each other. That's what we're meant to be to each other. But there are, it talks in Galatians about the loads we carry, and there's some pain that no one else can carry for you. You know, when someone you love dies, no one else is going to feel quite the same way about it that you do. But at least as, as brothers and sisters, we can help. And at times by not helping, we can be kind. We can not 
give platitudes. You know, we've had strange things said to us over the years, like, you know, would you try herb tea? And I said, I'd paint the flipping house in it if I thought it would work. I mean, herb tea for severe autism? <laughs> it's like do your own appendectomy or something, you know. It's just, it's just crazy. Oh, so many crazy things. I could write a book about it. But I don't want to get away from actually what is being said here because it's so wonderful. So three kinds of faith. Saving faith from Ephesians. It is by um, faith we are saved through grace. And that is a gift that's given to us. We respond to that gift. But that is a significant gift. Then the gift of um, faith through um, in Corinthians that is used for prophesying, that is used for healing, that is used for preaching, that is used for speaking to people, uh, that is used for miracles. That's the gift of faith which can be given to us at any one time to any person to operate in a gift or to speak a word. And, um, and then, of course, there's Hebrews. And, of course, the book of Hebrews was written to a second generation of Christians. So, as it is with all of us, we need to hear things again. This is the second generation now. And they were growing weary and doing good. So the first 10 chapters is very much about this amazing sacrifice, Jesus. This, the, there's nothing like Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice, the once and only sacrifice. That it will never need to be done again. And he goes on about, you know, the blood of bulls and goats could not save you in the way that your great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses could. And then, obviously, they're like, well, you know, maybe they haven't got enough people helping and they're just getting tired and weary of doing good. And that can happen in a church, can't it? You can like, flip, I've been doing this for months and no one's even noticed me. I make sure if I'm doing anything in the kind of practical line, I say to someone, can you take a, a photo? I just, happened, I just happened to put it on the church's Facebook. Why not? You know? And, uh, you know, just happened to be clearing dishes. Oh. <laughs> Even if you're going to pop them back on the bench after the photo. <laughs> well, we get weary, don't we? But it's not over, gang. We actually, Jesus has got more for us to do. He's got more for Maharangi. And I didn't know much about the plans. Um, I wasn't with um, Phil when he spoke to Lyndon. I really had not much idea. So the message I'm speaking today is because that's what God spoke to me. But it wasn't to do with the exciting things. But it is everything to do with it. Whoopsie. Yep, I'm fine. So faith is the substance of things hoped for that we do not see. You know what we normally say? Seeing is believing. Well, it's the opposite. Believing is seeing in, in our faith. Psalm 27, 13, David said, I would have despaired if I had not believed that I would see the Lord in the land of the living. He used faith. He used his experiences of God to visualize that he would be delivered. And that is what the Hebrews 11 faith talks about. And then it gives this whole list of people who did amazingly significant things, but they also did some very wild things. Like Noah, 75 to 100 years to build that ark. And imagine, thank goodness they didn't have social um, 
You know, people will be going, writing everything about him on Facey and all that. <laughs> and, you know, what the heck are you doing? He's mad, he's this, he's that. And, you know, that saved a, 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 a wonderful amount of people and animals to re repopulate the earth. But what happens after that? He goes and gets absolutely rotten drunk. <laughs> but God calls him a hero of faith. Now, that's not saying that that's the process you go through. <laughs> But what it's saying is, on your journey, you will do amazing things, and sometimes you'll do things that aren't so amazing. Keep going. If you are struggling, don't run away from the body of Christ. Run into it. Whatever sin is besetting you, someone else has had it. Someone else has been doing it. You know, whatever thing that you have, after being a pastor for so many years, there's nothing upon nothing that will shock me. And the, what I keep wanting to say to people is, don't isolate, run into it. See, Noah kept going. All the people named there did some interesting things, and yet they're named as heroes of faith. You are heroes of faith. To be a hero of faith, you endure. You keep going. You keep taking the next step. And just to sort of give a great example of this whole thing with Abraham, I studied his life and read through and went over and over so I could understand it myself um, about the journey that Abraham had to get to a place of incredible faith when he, sat, he took his son up to Mount Moriah. It was over 30 years that he progressed through that. And then there's... Um, so the progression starts out, in God comes to him, as far as we know, it says he was a pagan. So there was some great interchange with him and God, that he would now worship the God of Israel. He tells him, leave your house, your father's household, which means all the relatives, etc., and go to the land I will show you. So number one, he takes dad with him, and he takes Lot. So he's in partial obedience. And that's how we can be. Maybe at that time he didn't, enough, he didn't have enough faith to go out by himself. Let's make sure that's not going to fall off. Um, he just didn't have the faith to go out by himself. But out he goes. Then they go down. They go, they're in a place called Haran. Haran means crossroads. He returned there many times, and yet he was told to go on this journey. And isn't that how we are? We're comfortable with what we have, even if we don't like it. It seems easier than taking a dangerous step. It seems easier than to not to have to trust, to not to put ourselves out there. So he goes, and then they have to go down to Egypt, where um, there's food because there was a famine. And his sister, his wife, Sarah, who was actually his half-sister, and I'm just not going to go there, really, <laughs> if that's okay. And, uh, but it was common in those days. Um, she's extremely beautiful. So he knows before he goes down that the pharaoh is going to be interested in her. So he says to her, not because he's trying to protect her, quite the opposite. This is the man that God's chosen. Don't tell them that you're my wife. Say you're my sister. 
So sure enough, evidently she was incredibly beautiful, and um, they get down there, the Pharaoh wants her in his harem. But that night, God, the whole household got extremely sick, all the animals got sick, and Pharaoh, who actually didn't worship the God of Israel, recognized that this was a warning not to touch. And he went to him and he said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And if, you know, the reason was, I'm afraid that you'd kill me. But interestingly enough, he sent him away and gave him a whole lot of gifts. <laughs> then he went again, and that was King Abimelech, and he did the same thing. But uh, God gave King Abimelech uh, a dream about her being Abraham's wife. Again, he gets sent away with a whole lot of gifts. So here's God who's blessing Abraham, even though he's actually doing some pretty selfish things and foolish things and um, is not really obeying. He's only partially obeying. So on they go, and then eight times in total God met with Abraham over the period of when he first encountered him right up to Mount Moriah. And the amazing thing is this is like 30-something years because it was 25 years when he spoke to him, leave your land, until they had a son when he was 100. So that was a long time. But Abraham still was continuing. He was still on pilgrimage. And God came to him again the next time, and actually the first time, and he was called Abram at the time, and she was called Sarai, because Abraham just means father, whereas Abraham means father of nations. Sarah means princess, but, um, and Sarah means princess, but I think it's significant that God changed his name at a certain point. But he wasn't calling him that when he first sent him out. You see, we grow in faith. We grow in faith through experience and seeing the goodness of God. Get us out of scrapes, help us, all these kind of things. So God didn't call him that because he wasn't that. And then he started to unveil to him that you are going to be the father of many nations. And um, Abraham, he's got no idea how this is going to happen. But he moves again, and of course they have the whole carry-on with him and Lot in Sodom, which we won't go into. And um, Lot's quite selfish, and he wants the best of the land. But God then comes again and speaks to him, and, and Abraham's quite generous and gives him. But then God comes to Abraham again. He said, look out. He said, whatever you see is yours. I will give this land to your sons. So he affirms again that he's going to have children. But then many more years go on and there's no children. And so the wife cooks up this idea. And wives are good at these things. <laughs> cooks up this idea. And it was common practice that if you didn't have your own child, you could use the indentured servants, uh, women, uh, to have a child. So Abraham slept with um, Hagar, and they had a child, and they named him Ishmael. Of course, Abraham loved him, and um, Sarah couldn't stand the woman uh, because, can you imagine it? And the woman started mocking at Sarah, and so Sarah got really fed up and frustrated and wanted her gone. And... You know, uh, God, Abraham, and um, God tells Abraham to do what his wife says. 
Hello? Some haven't got their memo yet. But um, then, so they sent her out, and it's a particularly beautiful story. She's out in the desert with her son in the heat and um, just given a little backpack kind of deal, and she is encountered by God. This is his love. This is his love. And she said, this is the God who sees. And that was the first time he'd ever been called by that name. This is the God who sees. He sees my pain. And he speaks to her and he tells her everything about what Ishmael's going to be and there's a place for him and that he would also be the father of many, many people. And then um, Abraham encounters God again and God's speaking about inheritance and Abraham's like, you know, let, you know, why didn't you, you know, Ishmael could live before you. And he said, no, you're going to have a son with Sarah. And I don't think he took that in. I mean, I don't think I could take it in at my age, you know. Um, but if I went to the doctors, he said, you're going to have a son. No, I don't think so. And um, <laughs> so they travel up to the Oaks of Mamre, and they're there, and three angels appear. And, you know, who knows if it's Jesus? Who knows if it's... But it's a, it's a representation of God. Abraham sees them. Hospitality is so important. I wish we felt like this about hospitality, that, you know, three blokes would be standing outside by a tree and we'd be rushing out with bread and stuff for them. I occasionally do it if they're doing pavements and things. <laughs> I've made scones. Um, but the way they felt about hospitality, they would give their very last thing. So goes out, tells um, Sarah, who's inside the tent, making um, bread and stuff, and they sit down and um, they say to him, this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms, you and Sarah. And Sarah's in the tent and she laughs. Oh, I get it. And, um, and then they say he knew she'd call him Isaac. He who laughs, because Sarah had laughed. And then they come and confront her. And I don't know if this ever happened to you at school, but it's like, Roman, were you talking? No, not me. <laughs> well, Sarah's like, no, I didn't laugh. So they kind of rebuked her a bit for, la for laughing, but they also gave her something wonderful, because nine months later, she had a child. And things were going along so well. And Abraham kept following God, the God of Israel. You know, it didn't sound like he had a lot of buddies to do it with him, but he kept faithful to God. And then they get to the biggest test of Abraham's life. And the boy's about 13 years old, and God speaks to Abraham. And this is the eighth time in all that time period. I mean, please read it. You know, I'm sorry, I just wouldn't have the time to go through every encounter. Uh, this is the eighth time, and God says, you take your son, your only son, you take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. Now, how do you think that would have felt? But, you know, this is not Adam's first rodeo. Not Adam's. Abraham's first rodeo with God, is it? Because God spoke. He partially obeyed, took the rallies with him. God spoke. They tried to have the promise through the maid. God spoke again. Have you noticed that he keeps speaking? There's not one hint that he rebuked. Abraham, in all of this. In fact, he gets given gifts of cattle. 
the throwing his wife into the harem. But it's not about, obviously, God didn't want him to do that. But God's love is everlasting. The love of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you have been doing up to this point in time, Jesus loves you. And even if you confess it to some people, Jesus loves you. His love is eternal. And this is a picture of the kind of love that our Father God has for us. That he keeps going with us. That he keeps telling us, maybe we've missed a step. Maybe we haven't fully obeyed. It's never too late. Maybe you have dreams that you have never acted out because of comfort. It's never too late. And he will encourage you and gift, and gift you at the same time because his love is not conditional. It was conditional on the death of Jesus Christ on that cross. And if you've embraced that concept, if you've got Jesus in your life, you have every bit of his love available to you. Every resource will be available to you of his love. And so off they go. And they take a couple of servants, and they, it's a couple of days' journey, and they get close, and Abraham says to the servants, my boy and I are going to go on to Mount Moriah. You wait here, and we will return. What has happened to Abraham? He knows that if God requires his son, he'll raise him back from the dead. Look how he's grown in his relationship. You see, that's what happens to us as we go on, as we see the goodness and kindness of God, as we see it through people, as we see it through encounters with Jesus, as we see it through him getting us through prison sentences. I haven't had any, but, um, <laughs> you know, but therefore, for the grace of God, go I. Truly, truly, if we had walked in some people's shoes, we would have responded exactly the same. As we continue on with him, albeit feeling, oh, you know, am I pleasing to God? You are pleasing to God if you believe in him. If you keep turning up, if you keep putting one step in front of the other, you are pleasing to God. It's not about doing exactly, it's about being with God. Because if it was to do with that, Abraham shouldn't have got the deal he got and become the father of many nations. But isn't it beautiful how the Bible gives us such amazing examples about how normal people are and how they muck up, and yet when they continue on with God, they can reach their destination. And that's us. We can reach our destination we were always meant to reach because of the love of God. But our part to play is to keep going, to endure during hard times. Scream a bit in your backyard where no one can hear. But it doesn't mean you're not enduring. It doesn't mean stuffing everything down. It means, I'm, look, I'm feeling like I'm really close to the It's sharing with others. I'm feeling close to the edge. I think I'm having a breakdown. Um, you know, when we were first married, Phil was pretty terrified, I think, because I'd come from this very wild thing, marriage, uh, life, 
And he'd come from a nice country, farmers, good Christian boy, um, that kind of setup. So when I was having what I thought were discussions with him, he thought I was like fighting with him. And we had to learn how to navigate that so that we understood. And he, now, he knows that about me, that when I'm passionate and when I'm speaking about something, but he knows, oh, she's not, Bron's not annoyed with me. She's just sharing her feelings. See, God knows that about us too. We need to allow each other some passion to share really deep feelings, painful feelings. And we don't need to pat someone on the back and say, they're there, you'll get over it. You need to listen and say, oh, that's, I don't know what that feels like, because you never know exactly what another person feels like. But to say, that looks pretty hard. And what can I do to support you? And so up they go. They collect some wood. And the boy, Isaac, says, Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, he says, it's all pointing to Jesus. God himself will provide the sacrifice. And they're going up the hill. I was trying to sort of work out what kind of convo might have been going on. <laughs> like, it could get pretty hot today, son. <laughs> <laughs> and up they go. He actually tethers him onto the altar, which is a, a process that Jews used to do. It's quite a process. And, um, and then he goes to stick the knife. He bought the knife. He goes to stick the knife into his son. And the an angel of the Lord cries out, do not touch him. And he looks and he sees a ram in the thicket. But what had happened to Abraham? from the man who couldn't leave dad behind and his cousin, to the man, and we struggle with this because it sounds like such a violent, unpleasant um, scene, doesn't it? It was actually a test for Abraham. God never intended to take his son. But I think it wasn't just to test Abraham, it was to show him, you are a father of many nations. You are a father of faith. And they take the boy and they go back. It was a prophetic enactment of what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. That the Lamb of God was going to be sacrificed by his father, by the one who loved him the most. It says in Hebrews 12, just to finish, let us press on. Let us run the race. Let us throw off anything that entangles us, slows us down, and keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And just, I had a dream um, a couple of months ago, and I shared it a few times because I think it's more than just for me. I was at this event, and there was no one organizing it, and I'm not very sort of organized in that way. I'm not worried if no one's organizing it. And, but obviously I was meant to. And there was all this amazing food, like tables and tables and tables of divine food. And um, people kept like, well, why don't you eat? And they're like, 
Are you sure we can have it? Are you sure we can eat this? Don't we have to pay? And I said, no, I'll go and find out. And they said, no, you don't have to pay, but still people wouldn't take it. Then the dream goes to another scene. I had some, and um, I actually had my eye on something. Um, then the dream goes to another scene, and um, I'm walking along by the Wellington train station. I know I've got to catch a plane to Australia. We were going to Australia in about a month. And I work out, I haven't got my bags with me. And so I think, well, I better run home and get them. Anyway, I start to run, and honestly, Usain Bolt, he wouldn't have a chance against me. Now, this is in my dream. I was just running, like, above the ground. And in that time, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you don't need the baggage. You've got everything you need. And I think that's what it is, isn't it? There's a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. But we need to take the food. It doesn't cost. You know, there's that lovely scripture where it says, come and buy that which you have, have no money to buy. Come and drink. It's free. The water of the Holy Spirit, the bread of life, it's free. And then take off the encumbrance. I didn't need the baggage. And boy, I could run fast. I was like, how come I never knew about this? I could have been in the Olympics. This is in my dream, I'm thinking all this. You know, from going from the girl who couldn't jump off on that stupid horse thing at PE. If everyone ever remembers those, they strike terror in my heart. Um, <laughs> but this is amazing. But again, if we will leave the baggage, if we will believe that he will give us everything we need, if we will untangle the sin and the baggage and the pain and the disappointment and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we are going to reach our destination. Amen. Thank you, well done. Yeah. Thank you. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you. Um, God, we just pray that you would bless them, bless their, um, bless their travels, bless their, um, their way forward for you and all that they give out. Um, I pray that for each of us, as we've been encouraged this morning, God, to 